All right, everyone, welcome back. This is Ryan Selkis, and you're listening to Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I interview crypto's top builders, investors, and personalities to discuss the key trends in the industry. You can discover more about Masari at masari.io. But for now, let's get right into the episode. It's going to be a good one. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with. For exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space, check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. Uh, really excited for a conversation today with Jake Yoakum Pyatt, who is the project lead at Decred. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it's been like for Decred uh, as a hybrid proof of work, proof of stake system, how they think about vying for uh, attention and, and developer interest in the crypto economy, given how many alternatives there are today. Uh, some of the unique work they're, they're doing on the community governance front and how those experiments have been working in the wild. Uh, and then uh, finally, talk a little bit about some of the technical developments that are on the roadmap. Uh, Decred, as far as public blockchains go, certainly uh, seems to have a little bit more buzz than the um, uh, typical uh, top 100 projects, uh, and 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 I'm not sure exactly where where the project sits right now in terms of market cap, but it's been slowly and steadily um, rising up the ranks. Uh, if you're watching this on the live stream, uh, we are getting the, the beautiful Chicago sun uh, causing a halo effect not only around Jake, which is which is quite uh, auspicious, uh, but maybe perhaps around the entire Decred project. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, investor interest uh, and, and and how you guys have positioned yourselves uh, so successfully over the last year or so, and, and more importantly, what's next and kind of what, what gives this project, this protocol, some staying power. Um, so Jake, uh, you know, before we, we dive in to Decred, let, let's talk a little bit about your backstory and, and kind of personal journey down the crypto rabbit hole and, and you know, how we, we, we got to this point um, where uh, your, your project lead uh, for, for you know, one of the top open um, public blockchains that did not do an ICO, correct? Uh, that, that is indeed correct. We did um, not have an ICO. And uh, when we launched, we launched with a working product and a working blockchain. So all of that went live, and you know we didn't t- we didn't take any external capital. I you know I furnished all of the uh, all of the capital required to do the development. Um, so uh, so let let's let's start before then, right? So we'll, we'll get to that bit of, of, of kind of back history. But um, but what were you doing pre crypto, um, and, um, and and kind of where um, where did you start going down the the route hole? Uh, kind of early uh, two thousand thirteen was it? Um, but what, what kind of happened in that interim period? Sure thing. Um, so my background is, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I went to school for physics. I didn't, I, you know, I originally wanted to be an academic and that, you know, that path didn't pan out. So I, I sort of, uh, you know, cast it around and, and figured out what I was good at. One of the things I was good at was uh, system administration. I can, uh, you know, take operating systems and existing pieces of software, plug it together and make it do things and, you know, do that pretty well. So, so that was sort of my interest. And then in, uh, back in, I think it was 2011 was the first point at which I saw, uh, you know, I saw Bitcoin and I thought, oh, wow, this is pretty interesting. That got my attention. And then I saw it again in 2012 and I'm like, okay, you know, this idea of storing value without a bank, that's really cool. And um, it really, you know, it really captured my imagination. 
And then, uh, you know, I finally circled back to it in late 2012 and early 2013 when I finally got involved. And, and immediately prior to this, I was working on uh, CypherType, which was a secure online backup solution. And the idea there was to create uh, uh, backups such that no one, even, even the service that's storing it, uh, could read them. So. The unfortunate reality with computer security software is, is that really most people don't care. So uh, you can make these backups secure and no one really cares. We ended up pivoting to Bitcoin because we saw in late 2012, we were like, well, we need to we need to do something else. This secure backup stuff isn't working. So then we ended up cutting over to Bitcoin. And what we saw was, is we saw that, uh, you know, Bitcoin Core was really moving along, but we tried to sort of interact with them and we found them to be, you know, at least semi-hostile. And uh, that was kind of disconcerting to us. So we figured, well, hey, you know, if we can contribute to the ecosystem by creating another alternative implementation from scratch. We did that. And that led to, uh, you know, from basically early 2013 until roughly earlier mid 2015, that led to some animosity with uh, the Bitcoin core developers and, uh, you know, along the lines of they didn't like competition. So that's, uh, you know, that's how that went. It ended up uh, being a good learning experience. And it taught me some, you know, some very useful things that I that I brought to bear in Decred. I mean, one of them being that as much, uh, you know, as interesting as a decentralized store of value and, you know, a means to transmit that value is, it then begs the question, okay, how is that, how is that, you know, ledger, that decentralized ledger, how is that ledger governed? And I saw firsthand, you know, in our interactions with, uh, you know, w with the other Bitcoin developers, the Bitcoin core guys, that it was just, it was very much a normal open source project. There were people who were benevolent dictators for life and have established positions, and you can't really challenge these people. So, uh, you know, in a way, you know, to, to put it succinctly, I felt like that was kind of an unfair situation to be put in, uh, you know, both for Bitcoin as a project and then me as someone else who wants to contribute to that project. So we took that, you know, we took that information, then rolled that into uh, what ultimately became Decred. So what we did is that we we saw what we didn't like about Bitcoin. We distilled it down to a few major points, and which were uh, basically the proof of work miners have too much power. The uh, software, you know, there's really no formal governance system. It's just whatever a few people say goes, and then everyone else can more or less suck an egg. And then, um, you know, the other one being there's no funding. Um, when we did this work originally, there was, you know, there was no funding for it. There were there was no block stream. There was no real VC money in the space. And we had shown up because we thought we thought the, the technology was cool. And in order to keep any project going, you need to you need to fund it. So those were the three major shortcomings we saw. And then we developed Decred and launched it in, uh, you know, February 2016 as a means to address what we saw as the shortcomings of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, back, back then, I mean, even even Bitcoin was struggling with the kind of ongoing funding and, and, and decentralizing its own, own governance. Um, you know, the, 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 the backstory there, you know, really led to the rise of, of Blockstream. Um, and its funding, uh, it also probably led to the slow and steady divergence of kind of the East and West communities, um, the West being more developer heavy in terms of the core contributors to the, the protocol. And, and then um, the, uh, the East being you know, the mining community, which, which you know, really was, was providing and, and, and you know, most likely still provides you know, maybe 90% uh, of, of the capacity to not just Bitcoin, but many proof of work networks. Um, mm -hmm. So one one of the uh, kind of key things that that you and other teams 
uh, I'm sure I had to confront was how do you um, how do you suck any oxygen uh, from the movement that is Bitcoin um, and this you know very powerful shelling points um, that uh, that Bitcoin already had to generate interest in something that's slightly different and, and is going to push the envelope on uh, consensus standards uh, or, or, you know, a slightly different security model, things like that. Yeah, I mean, what we ended up doing to sort of, you know, per the three points that I had made, that was sort of what led, that's what we used as the lead into, this is why we're stepping out and doing something different. And then the way we ended up doing things different is, is that we, we tried to combine three facets of, you know, the system, which is that some proof of work is great, it works. But then, uh, you know, it has these governance problems. If you add proof of stake to it, you hybridize proof of work and proof of stake, which is, I think, you know, the core thing that we launched with in February of 2016, that ends up giving you a lot more security against majority attacks. So if you're going to try to create a long lived uh, fork and then say, I don't know, rob an exchange, you need to you need to have a long lived fork. And in order to do that, you need to mine in secret. And then you need to uh, you know, there's a lot of things that need to uh, that need to happen all at the same time in order for this to, uh, you know, to, to, to be pulled off. And that was one thing that we fixed. The other thing that we ended up fixing was the ability to pay ourselves. We were able to uh, be sustainable on in the long term. So Rather than going, hey, we need some big venture capital money to show up and fund our dev work, let's just fund it ourselves you know, out of the blockchain. So 10% of every block goes to a treasury organization, and that treasury organization pays for development. And then the other thing that we ended up doing to sort of differentiate ourselves was, um, and this didn't happen really until the beginning of 2017, was we took our hybrid proof of work, proof of stake system, and we integrated it with the, uh, the process of consensus rule changes so that when consensus rules need to change, which is, you know, hey, episodically, you might need to bump the block size, you might need to shrink the block size if you're if you're Luke Jr., uh, you might need to uh, you might need to add opcodes so that you can support the Lightning Network. There's a whole bunch of reasons to make uh, consensus changes. And we felt that by doing these three things, we could differentiate ourselves pretty heavily from Bitcoin. Now, when we ended up doing that, we ended up pretty much having to go it alone for the first year or so. But once things started to heat up in 2017, other people in the space saw our, you know, our, you know, our value proposition and, and our, uh, you know, our differentiation points as something that drew, drew them to it. And, you know, in a lot of cases, we have people in our project who aren't necessarily, you know, you know, they're not like, uh, you know, uh, what is it, exiles from the Bitcoin space, but rather they're people who see the, you know, the depth of the value in these kinds of systems, a system that can adapt over time, a system that can change the rules, albeit in a way that, you know, is reasonable and done according to the interests of the people who already hold the coins. So, you know, in terms of competing for developers, competing for developers ends up being a, you know, a question of value propositions and, you know, what you can offer. And I think that we also, you know, there aren't many hybrid proof of work, proof of stake blockchains out there. So as a function of that, it's relatively unique. We have some strong selling points. And then, uh, you know, we're also a very principled community because I felt like I got kind of the ass end of the stick in the Bitcoin context. Uh, I, uh, I really try to make a point to be as fair as possible to everyone. So when people show up, you know, it's not like a, Jake's the benevolent dictator for life. In fact, I'm really on my way to engineering myself out of the equation. And if people see that and they, you know, they obviously perceive value in that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so let's talk a little bit more about the, the hybrid um, proof of work, proof of stake, because um, this was something that for you know a while was the ETH 2.0 roadmap, right? Um, where they wanted to gradually transition from proof of work. They had uh, things like the, the difficulty bomb um, that continues to get kicked down the road. Uh, and, and it's kind of becoming like a, a running joke similar to like the debt ceiling. But um, how... Um, have, you, have has that stayed relatively constant that split um or how have you thought about transitioning away um if at all to proof of work over time uh, what, what is the um what's the long term look like uh for for this ecosystem is, is it kind of a little bit of proof of work until um it's no longer necessary um or will that always be a, a strong component do you think I, I think that proof of work, at least for the foreseeable future, will continue to be a consensus mechanism. And, you know, there's some thing. So the way our, our block subsidy is split, let's start there, is it's split 60, 30, 10. So it's split 60% to proof of work, 30% to proof of stake, and 10% to the treasury. And the reason that we ended up, uh, you know, having that mix when we when we started is, is that proof of work requires actually purchasing real equipment, making capital expenditures, and, uh, you know, having a facility, cooling it, you know, all the electricity to power the miners. It typically has to live somewhere in the mountains to have a good, you know, uh, like, you know, a good cooling cost and a good electricity cost. There's all kinds of considerations that end up going into proof of work. That's why we felt that it should get 60% because somebody's got to build these things and pay for them. And then the reason we wanted to do uh, proof of stake and do 30% is that when we started the project, we didn't want the, and I say semi-passive rate of return for proof of stake participation, we didn't want it too high because if you run it too lean, you know, then you attract the, or excuse me, run it too rich, you attract the wrong kind of people. You attract people who are just rent seekers and just there to, you know, you know, rip, you know, rip value out of the consensus mechanism. So we started at, you know, 60, uh, 60, 30, 10. And then in terms of proof of work, we, we intentionally chose an ASIC friendly algorithm, Blake 256 with 14 rounds. And we did that because we didn't want to, uh, we saw the sort of um, the whack-a-mole that was being played uh, by uh, Monero and in, in terms of ASIC resistance. And we felt that we didn't want to have to constantly be, you know, playing whack-a-mole with our, uh, you know, proof of work algorithm. So we just said, we're just going to go ahead with it and and put something out there that people can turn into ASICs and, and deal with that. And then, um, you know, in terms of the split and where things are going is what we've been seeing is, is that uh, we have like a decay curve. You know, Bitcoin has the halving every four years. In our case, every I think it's every three weeks, roughly, it's 6,144 blocks. The subsidy drops by a factor or, or is reduced by a factor of 100 over 101, roughly a drop of 1%. So that we have small, uh, you know, uh, subsidy adjustments on our blocks over time. And then in terms of, uh, you know, inflation, we, we don't have anything baked in. We don't have a tail emission like, say, Monero. And then, you know, to connect back to your comments about the hybrid proof of work, proof of stake for Ethereum, is we saw, uh, we saw the hybrid proof of work, proof of stake proposed, and we were like, hey, uh, we kind of we we've kind of already done that, and uh, uh, something that I do find entertaining is to know that that it didn't end up ultimately, uh, you know, uh, what is it materializing? And per your comment, there's the difficulty bomb, which is now embedded and keeps getting kicked, right? Yeah, and and um, so we we kind of started um, a little bit more in the weeds than than maybe I, I'd start most conversations. So I want to pull it back a little bit just to uh, to to come up for air and make sure that. 
we didn't just kind of lose everybody. Now, the the, the reason uh, I wanted to start with uh, the consensus mechanism uh, and and how you guys are different is a it is one of the differentiating features I think of, of Decred in terms of how you think about um, sovereign resistance or or um, actual permissionless transactions um, and and why this system is better than Bitcoin or better than a, a true you know proof of, of, of stake system that um, if the, you get the distribution wrong it just becomes like an oligopoly things like that so it is um, it is kind of an important differentiating feature and um, and I, I suppose that the natural question just to kind of bring people back is um, how do you think about your competitive position right so what what is success? For, for Decred as a protocol? Is this a substitute for Bitcoin? Is it a substitute for some other platform? Um, do you think about um, Decred being part of a basket of, of you know, kind of three or four core cryptocurrencies that someone holds um, for the currency function? What, where, where exactly is the differentiated use case? Because um, I think you can kind of grok how the system design is different uh, and how you know go good governance is kind of baked in to begin with. But is that or has that been a strong enough pull to actually you know drive usage uh, to Decred versus have it just kind of sitting um, in uh, the periphery as a hedge of sorts, right? This is important for this ecosystem to exist in case XYZ happens to Bitcoin or XYZ happens to, to one of these other protocols. What, what's the right positioning as, as you know, people think through why they should get involved um, here? Because the odds of someone saying, you know what, I'm going to go um, do this transaction using Decred, it's still like miles and miles away for people to think that way in Bitcoin terms, much less an asset that is you know, 20, 30 down the, the liquidity rankings. Yeah, so I think that if we look at how Bitcoin has worked for the past several years is that Bitcoin is primarily a store of value. It's really here and there it's used as a medium of exchange. Um, it's practically never used as a unit of account. And and the goal with Decred is to create a superior store of value. That is that, you know, if we look at what's worked, what's worked is creating stores of value that really has worked. And, you know, the, anyone who bought Bitcoin in 2014 or 2015 can tell you, yeah, the store of value thing is working. And uh, that process is something that, you know, that we aim to uh, reproduce within within Decred. And the way we we're trying to differentiate ourselves is, is that if we look at what Bitcoin's value proposition is, it's that things are going to change very, very slowly. And your your expectations are, are, you know, the social contract is very little of this is going to change and no one's going to you know mess with the inflation. And that's just how it is. Whereas the approach that we take with with Decred is we are also a store of value, but our goal is to move and evolve with time so that as new technology come, you know, uh, comes into play or, or new papers get published, we can incorporate that technology and move forward in a, in a way where we don't really care about soft forks or hard forks. And we evolve technologically as time marches forward, as opposed to going, well, there was this really awesome idea 11 years ago, and we're just going to stick with that and change like just a little few things around the periphery. And I think that there, you know, there in, in, in terms of uh, how we expect to position ourselves in, you know, in the more medium term is, is that 
our goal is to be one of the few uh, top store value chains. And the idea there is to uh, avoid the whole medium of exchange uh, approach, you know, angle because it's sort of it's sort of putting the cart before the horse no one wants to use anything as a medium of exchange until it's a store of value no one wants to use anything as a unit of account until it's a medium of exchange so it's sort of a cascade so we're trying to focus on just you know the first part with the store of value and then we can move on from there to things like medium of exchange and units of account um and you know in terms of liquidity uh you know on the chain and people and people being able to spend uh decred is, is that we are focusing on the lightning network and we will be having our initial lightning network Work release where we incorporate that into our, uh, you know, our uh, what is it, our graphical wallet to Crediton. Uh, we're going to be actually doing that here in the next week. So, uh, so the whole, you know, the whole process of differentiating and 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 how to position or how or how people should think about Decred in the context of other cryptocurrencies in the whole space is that we're positioning ourselves as a store of value rather than trying to create sort of a you know an app coin where there's a predefined narrow use case that you know say you can explain to uh, uh, venture capitalists. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the recent privacy implementation that you've been working on. Um, so there's been a line of thinking that um, privacy coins have maybe no differentiating uh, real features, uh, and and that you know privacy is a feature, not a kind of standalone um, component of of a, a currency. Um, you've recently uh, begun work on, on a privacy implementation. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and kind of some, some of the other protocols or, or work that's been done that it borrows from, um, how it's getting incorporated uh, into the protocol and, and, and whether you buy that thesis that this is just a forkable feature that, that we and, and other flexible teams that have uh, faster governance mechanisms will, um, will ultimately you know, siphon off and, and, and incorporate to make our own platforms better, right? So the whole uh, good artist copy, great artist steal uh, uh, <laughs> mindset, um, which is fair game and open source, by the way. But 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 comment on that a little bit, and, and maybe talk through the, uh, the the roadmap on the privacy side. Sure thing. Um, I'll try to I'll try to keep it brief. I could talk for far too long about this. Okay, so. I mean, my view on privacy is that it it really is more a feature than a you know than a, a a core thing to focus on with a project. That said, there's some very talented people working on the privacy focused uh, you know projects. Uh, you know whether it's uh, uh, Monero, Zcash, or, or you know or Zerocoin. There's some really talented people out there who are making real progress on the privacy front. But as you know, per your comments because we can change our consensus rules uh, as a function of time and do it in a way that the chain keeps operating smoothly for decred we can you know effectively bolt on privacy features as we go or let's say we bolt on a privacy feature that we that we thought was cool and we find out later it wasn't so great we can discard it and then you know change consensus rules and pick up something else and use that so from you know from an adaptability standpoint decred is positioned to pretty much do whatever it wants with privacy and the approach we decided to take was one where there, there's really two facets to privacy and you can either not try to attack both facets at the same time or you can attack one at a time one is uh linkability so being able to link uh you know uh, uh utxos on the chain so if you can link the the coins on the chain in a lot of cases you can infer you know identities or groups or you know or, or relationships between people 
So you can focus on linkability. And if you look at, say, Monero, that's how their ring signatures work, is, is that that breaks linkability or it makes it, you know, it, it creates an, what is it, an 11-fold anonymity within a transaction uh, in terms of, um, you know, what the, the input UTXOs were. And, in, and, and we decided to sort of go that route, that is focus on linkability first, because we felt it was more important than the second component, which is also more difficult, which is uh, amount privacy, right? So if you have a public ledger and you're trying to make sure there's only X things on the public, public ledger, if you start obfuscating the amounts, it's like, well, does it all reconcile at the end of the day? So, so the the ability to reconcile and count, uh, you know, everything is a function of those amounts. So, changing the amounts is obviously t it, it technologically it's it, it's harder to pull off. So, for example, the way Monero deals with that is that they deal they they uh, they have confidential transactions which use bulletproof. So, you blind the amounts with a commitment, and then you have a range proof for the you know for each of the individual amounts, and 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 that's how they handle the amount obfuscation so that requires consensus changes so our approach was to deal with the linkability first and and we had seen a paper which we really liked uh, which was coin shuffle so there was a coin shuffle paper which proposed a mechanism for shuffling bitcoin transactions and what we ended up doing was uh, we saw a follow-on paper coin shuffle plus plus and we ended up implementing that so what that does is that allows that allows for an off-chain multi-party computation process that uses basic cryptographic primitives to break linkability between, uh, you know, between the inputs and the outputs of that transaction. So that if you, if, if you, I, and ten other people all put money into one of these uh, coin shuffle plus plus mixing transactions. On the other end, there are mixed outputs, and those mixed outputs are indistinguishable and not linkable to any of us who put the funds in. So the reason we like this is because it uses uh, simple cryptographic primitives. It uses things like, uh, you know, Diffie-Hellman key exchange, deriving session keys, um, you know, uh, blinding thing, uh, you know, commitments using hashes, and then uh, you know, pads using hashes, and then solving systems of equations. These are all basic, you know, sort of. Uh, like introductory college level mathematics that can be used to, uh, you know, to obfuscate uh, uh, the origins of a transaction. That's what for us was the real draw to it. And then if you look at say what Zcash is doing, so Zcash does uh, zero knowledge proofs of a sp specific type, which is uh, uh, ZK snarks. And it's a very, it's a very powerful technology. It's an incredibly big hammer and it can be brought to bear on a number of different problems. It solves both the, uh, the linkability and the amount privacy in one go. The, the caveat there being that if you look at the, the source code for it, it's, it's monolithic. It's like 20 to 30,000 lines of code that probably 50 people on the planet are, are qualified to audit. And uh, so, so we had looked at that and we, we liked it. We thought it was a very cool hammer, but it's like, man, what if there's something busted in there? And so the what if of that really kind of had turned us off. And then similarly with, with Monero, they use ring signatures. And ring signatures and these ZKPs both have a, a, a property that, you know, that I'm not a fan of, which is that they break pruning. So if at some point you want to, in the future, you want to throw away the history of the blockchain, you cannot do it with, with those projects because of uh, the fact that the, um, the obfuscation of the, the linkability basically breaks pruning. So we wanted something that was prunable and uh, relatively simple and then something that was flexible so that we could, you know, we could change it, we could upgrade it. And uh, the CoinShuffle++ plus plus process, we felt uh, delivered on those fronts. 
So we ended up running with that and uh, we're in the process of integrating it. So it's, uh, you know, we have it out, it's public. Uh, it's going into this release that's coming. Uh, hey, I think the release is gonna happen this week. I say I think because I don't really, I, know, I don't wanna promise anything until it's actually out. But um, the, the upshot is, is that it's already being used to, uh, you know, to make uh, ticket purchasing private. So because our hybrid proof of work proof of stake system is based on tickets, where uh, you effectively lock coins in exchange for a ticket, the ticket goes into a rolling lottery, and then those tickets are called to vote, uh, both on-chain, and then you can use them to vote in our off-chain project management system. So what we've done is we've overlaid privacy with our governance system, which solves a major problem of a lot of mixing uh, you know, technology, which is that who's gonna use it and where's the volume gonna come from? So in our case, we've overlaid our governance which has a sort of a, you know, an intrinsic uh, transaction volume with our privacy system. And where we're going with this is that there's a whole bunch of other things that will need to be changed going forward in order to make these systems uh, function uh, seamlessly together. So for example, you can't buy tickets through a, uh, and, and use a stake pool because that bleeds your privacy. So then there's all, all kinds of things that need to be changed over the next six months in order to make that whole system pop. So that's that's where we're at with the privacy, and that's what we're going to be up to probably for the next six months in terms of privacy. What are some of the um, applications that you are most excited about in general? But but you know maybe some of the the ones that um, could be opened up once this new privacy implementation is 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 fully baked into the protocol. Um, because the the one I think consistent theme um, that that you know we keep going back to with base layer protocols is like who's using this shit right or who's going to <laughs> um, and basically Bitcoin and Ethereum are the only ones that have answered that question right now. You can make minor arguments about some of the others, but I, I'd still say that by and large it's those two. Um, and I don't think that's really that controversial. Um, so what what. Um, how do you incentivize folks to build on top? What are what are some of the early applications that you could see, uh, that you have seen built, um, and and how do we scale um, uh, actual use cases beyond just shuffling coins around from staking pools to exchanges back to hardware wallets and 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 you know kind of round robin until um, until the speculators are just worn out. Ah, okay. So, 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 just to make sure I understand, you're asking what the what the applications are of privacy beyond sort of the the, the initial stuff that that I that I covered, right? No, I'm I'm talking oh. about um, use cases that are being or, or applications that are being built on Decred number one and number two. Um, which new use cases or, or which applications might be um, built or, or or you might even be targeting um, for uh, developments post these new privacy upgrades. Yeah, I mean, in terms in terms of use cases, is, is that um, in the same way that say you know Bitcoin doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of use cases. Like pe people people talk about Bitcoin use cases, but the, the the real application is the store of value, which is sort of its own its own game. You want to leave your coins there, and then you want to leave them there for a longer a long period of time. And in the case of Ethereum, Ethereum is built to be more of a platform, right? And so, so the idea is, is that you draw people in and then people build on that platform. So, you know, we're taking more of the store of value tech than the platform. 
platform tech because uh, you know the platform uh, the platform that say Ethereum has is based on the uh, the breadth of what you can do with their smart contract system. So the smart contract system, you know, in in Ethereum is is really the draw. And then in the case of in the case of Decred, we're trying to focus on things that are a little bit more sort of traditional. That is. This idea that uh, that you can create infrastructure that can't be tipped over, that you could create a uh, you, you know that you could participate in our privacy system and then say uh, go back out, so so you can basically dip your toe in, have a good store of value where there's privacy being created, and then duck back out and I don't know you know uh, revert to Ethereum or revert to Bitcoin. The idea being that. We're trying to add and then and act as a store of value in terms of people building on top of Decred. It's uh, you know it's just uh, it's just not built uh, the same way as say Ethereum. So I feel like I feel like uh, focusing on what's going to be built on top of Decred is a bit you know it's a it, it's a bit challenging. We're obviously trying to get our uh, Lightning network uh, up and running and 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 get people using that. But just you know, just like say with, with Bitcoin is, is that it's difficult to say if there's really an app that people are trying to build as much as sort of the the ability to store and transmit value is its own sort of application. So you just want more people doing that, and you know our goal is to create the better store of value that is better bait, so people do it on our platform as opposed to say Bitcoin, which we I think is fair to say will not change hugely as a function of time. So every several years, I'd expect to see some cool features added to beat to Bitcoin, but I would not be, I would not expect like, wow, they're going to be on the cutting edge of fronts A, B, and C, uh, you know, just by merit of the uh, social contract that they have in place with, with everyone at this point. And I think that, uh, you know, Ethereum is, uh, Ethereum's uh, smart contract platform is very interesting. It's, uh, it gives a lot of breadth, but then it's, uh, you know, it has its own uh, sort of things that hold it back. Like, for example, that the, the biggest application that, you know, that, that I've seen used on the platform is raising money and now that that's slowed down a bit it's you know it's it people are having to really figure it out and find you know what i consider to be like the real applications as much fun as it was to see you know the vcs uh get frustrated that other everyone else was like out vcing them on ethereum makes sense um so obviously privacy is a big one uh what what other facets of the roadmap uh, can we expect to see uh, come out in you know the remainder of the year and, and into kind of early 2020 at this point? The uh, the big one that's being worked there there there's I think there's two yeah there's two real major ones that are that are being worked on one of them is uh, decentralizing the treasury you know in the interest of getting our project out the door launching and and making everything work uh, we we wanted to have a decentralized tre treasury from launch but we couldn't figure out how to do it you know properly so what we've done is we actually. Uh, we put a proposal forward to uh, to decentralize the treasury formally. That is, the idea is to make a very sort of a very small smart contract that that uh, exists in our scripting system. So it would be a couple. I think it's two new opcodes, and the way that would work is is that there's a T spend and a T add opcode. The idea being that. Um, every block instead of the 10% going to a three of three multi-sig address that's controlled by a corporate entity, it would go to a, it would T add to the special treasury account. And then when funds are drawn from the treasury, they're, they're drawn from the treasury using a T spend so that the funds are spent. And then the, the T spend transactions have to actually be voted on by the stakeholders. So a like a draft transaction is proposed people vote on that transaction hash. And then after like a week of voting and there's a threshold of yes, no, 
that transaction would be published and then would be valid on the chain. So, so that it, it, it's like a it's like a very small little Ethereum bit that's that's stuck into our system. So we have a very minimal smart contract that does that. That work should probably we should probably have that landed by mid next year. And then um, the other thing that we're working on that's relatively large is our Dex infrastructure. So. Um, you know, I don't know how much experience you have with this, but I've seen a lot of questionable things occur when you're trying to get listings on exchanges, people wanting to be paid exorbitant marketing fees and so on. So I experienced a lot of that and I, it really did not you know, sit well with me. As somebody who knows that to add this thing from a dev standpoint is maybe 10K, you know, people asking, you know, six, seven or eight figures to get added to various exchanges is ridiculous. So, uh, so, I felt like there really needs to be better, uh, you know, decentralized exchange infrastructure. There's several, you know, there's there there's myriad projects that are already doing this out there, but they have one thing one thing in common. All of them are to some extent rent seeking. So everybody's trying to, you know, get an edge, get a little bit of the the uh, what is it, the trade uh, the trade fees into their account. In our case, what we're trying to do is we're trying to remove rent seeking, both in terms of listings and in terms of uh, trade fees. We're trying to uh, fix the way the trading works in the sense that uh, first in first out uh, order matching which is the you know sort of the gold standard across both centralized and decentralized exchanges both in the fiat and crypto world we are we're doing away with that we're doing pseudo random matching so people uh, submit orders and then within an epoch those orders end up getting shuffled people commit to values they reveal their commitments at the end of an epoch and then the things uh, match pseudo randomly so the idea is to get it basically completely rule out front running as much as we can and then the last thing you know is to it, is to make the UX more like email. It should be like email. If I want to, if I want to send you, uh, you know, Ethereum, it's already like email. But if I want to uh, exchange, say, Decred for Ethereum, that's not like email. You have to go somewhere. You have to use somebody's stuff. It's a game for them to make money. And instead, it should be something like, you know, someone sets up a server somewhere. You mash a couple buttons, and you know, uh, you want Ethereum. I have Decred. I send it to the server, you get Ethereum, we call it a day. And we do that using uh, atomic swaps. So everything gets matched and then there's an atomic swap across chains and then you know funds move on chain to on chain. So uh, you know, those are those are the directions we're going and um, those are the two biggest things that we have in the pipeline for the next say, you know, six to nine months. Awesome. Uh, well, I, uh, I, I hope everyone enjoyed uh, this update and, and kind of refresh on, uh, on Decred. Uh, Jake, where can uh, folks find you and get involved in the project? Um, the revolution will not be centralized, uh, but our chat uh, our chat platforms are. So uh, chat.decred.org. Uh, we typically, we prefer Matrix, but we also support Slack and uh, Discord. Those are bridged. So if you want to re- participate, you can show up on any of those three. But again, I prefer Matrix and, uh, and I suggest people use that. It's better. Um, and uh, you know we can be we can be found at events here and there, but really we're you know we're an online community, so feel free to show up in our chats. But no more of the consensus 2018 spacesuits. <laughs> oh the, yeah, the, the yeah the spacesuit man, I forgot about that. It's been a minute. Oh uh, oh, oh we didn't. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll we'll let you off the hook. A lot of people were high on moon fumes uh, around consensus that year, but. Um, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure, uh, good, to, good to see how far the platform's coming and, and congrats on all the experimentation and, and good luck with some of the, uh, some of the upcoming releases. So, um, Jake, uh, 
we will uh, we'll catch up again soon. Uh, in the meantime, to all the viewers out there, thanks for tuning in. Until the next one. Thanks for having me, Ryan. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot if you want to continue the conversation or troll me. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.